So today we are recording the last episode of season 1. We are going to discuss the last chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. No. It can't be. I want to start by saying thank you. First I want to thank you Aishwarya for agreeing <laughs> to do this with me. I thank you for spending so much time with me doing this. Oh, thank you. I also want to thank someone really important, our listeners. If you've been sticking with us all these episodes, thank you so much. You have no idea the amount of happiness you give us. Seriously, we discuss this all the time. <laughs> yeah. If you're just starting out by listening to this episode, thank you for joining us. To those who have been sporadically listening to us, thank you for keeping us in your thoughts. So, let's get on with it. Welcome to episode 9 of Memble Memble the Harry Potter podcast. I am Prashanthini and I am Aishwarya. We will be rereading and discussing the Harry Potter books over the course of our run. Today we are going to discuss chapter 17, A Man with Two Faces, and this episode is called Harry Meets a Man with Two Faces. Originally uh, we are not. <laughs> so, let's start with the summary. After Harry walks through fire, he's surprised to discover that the man waiting for him is not Snape, it's Professor Quirrell. Quirrell explains that he was the one who was trying to kill Harry at the Quidditch match and that Snape had actually been trying to save Harry. In fact, Snape had been suspicious of Quirrell, which is why he even refereed the next match. Harry hadn't been wrong in assuming that Snape disliked him. He did, but it was because of his father and not Harry himself. Quirrell also explains that Voldemort is the one he serves and the one he's been trying to steal the stone for. He's not able to figure out how to use the mirror and Harry tries to get away, but a disembodied voice tells Quirrell to use Harry to get the stone out of the mirror. Somehow Harry winds up with the stone in his pocket. Harry lies about it, but the voice sees through his lies and demands to speak to him face to face. Quirrell unwraps his turban to reveal a second face on the back of his head, Voldemort. Voldemort monologues about how he's a mere shadow of himself, during which Harry tries to get away. In the scuffle, Harry realizes that Quirrell can't touch him without suffering pain. So even though it hurts him as well, he puts his hands on Quirrell until he passes out. When he wakes up, he's in the hospital wing with Dumbledore who explains everything that happened and fills in some of the details. Dumbledore explains that he arrived just in time to pull Harry off Quirrell, but Voldemort got away. After discussing it with Flamel, Dumbledore has also destroyed the stone. Harry recovers in time to attend the last night feast where Slytherin is expected to win the house championship cup. Except Dumbledore hands out some points in the last minute to Harry, Hermione, Ron and Neville and Gryffindor ends up winning the cup. The year over, they pack their trunks, get on board the Hogwarts Express and leave Hogwarts for now. This chapter like begins bang on with the revelation. It wasn't Snape who's trying to steal the stone. It's Quirrell. Yeah. Harry is so surprised by the fact that it's not Snape because all through the book we've been getting all these red herring signs that it's Snape. Snape is the one with the wound from Fluffy. Snape is the one who goes off in the direction of the third floor corridor where the troll is on the loose. Snape is seemingly is the one who curses Harry and he is trying to kill him yes. in the Quidditch match. Snape even shows up in the previous chapter to act all villainous. <laughs> yeah. When I first read the book, I was completely surprised that it was Quirrell. I actually expected a bunch of other people to be there in place of Snape. Hmm. Like McGonagall. Whoa. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait. So, you actually did not think it was Snape? Yeah, because I know that a twist is coming. Okay. But I actually thought Voldemort might be standing there or something. You He's... are much smarter than me then because I was like 100% sure Snape would be there when I read it the first time. <laughs> Do you think you would react that way if you had severely misjudged someone? Instead of running away, would you just stand there and ask questions? But I think Harry was trying to like prevent Quirrell from doing anything to get the stone, which is why he he was desperate to ask Quirrell as many questions as he could about why Snape. But Snape did this and uh-huh. Snape did that. Yeah, actually, Harry asking the questions did not feel weird. But Quirrell actually answering, answering the questions. It's a TV trope. 
decided he would have to keep a closer watch on me. So it makes sense that when they first met in Leaky Cauldron, Harry's car doesn't hurt. In the movie, there's a very clear differentiation after that. Mm-hmm. Every time Harry's car hurt when he's looking at Quirrell, Quirrell has his back towards Harry. Ah. I don't know if the book makes the same kind of differentiation. No, I don't think so. Because when Harry's talking about his car prickling constantly towards the end of the air exams, I don't think Quirrell's anywhere even in the vicinity. That could be because the unit is drinking unicorn blood mm-hmm. and they are becoming stronger. So Voldemort's presence is felt more by He Harry. says the association between Voldemort and Harry's car is never clearly explained yeah. even in the later books. There's no like Voldemort does X, Harry's car hurts because of that yeah. type of association. So I think it's just, it comes whenever it's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that Harry's car hurts whenever Voldemort is stronger, especially no. in the first three books. No, it doesn't. Even after that, it doesn't hurt when he's stronger per se. It's just that I don't think I observed the book makes the same connection association that the no, movies have. I don't think so. When Voldemort says he takes possession of Quirrell's body, do you think he means it in the sense that he can read Quirrell's thoughts? I think it is a host parasite type of situation. I think Voldemort is really powerful. Hmm. He doesn't even have his own body, but he knows that Harry is lying. I think he can definitely read Quirrell's thoughts. Yeah. The explanation I received for Harry finding the stone is that Harry is the one who wanted to find the stone but not use it, mm. right? Technically, if we were to think that Quirrell only wanted to give the stone to Voldemort, he should have been able to find the stone because he doesn't want to use it himself. But clearly, there must have been something else there involved. No, I don't think was- this is exactly like uh, setting up a rule or something. <laughs> I think it's a little more nuanced than that. It makes sense that someone trying to find the stone... Even if they don't want to use it directly, but eventually they want someone else to use it, right? That also comes under the same category. Interesting thing about the mirror though. Mm -hmm. When we were discussing Harry looking at his parents through the mirror, we had a question. We wanted to find out if Harry was actually looking at his parents and we decided that he's not. He's just seeing his imagined version of his parents. So after that episode came out, Madhu, who's my friend listening to this podcast, pointed out that the mirror's magic is a little more complicated and powerful than that. Mm -hmm. Because in this chapter, the mirror is able to assess someone's intentions to actually decide if it can give the stone or not. So she said that it might not be so straightforward. Harry might actually be looking at his parents. It's certainly a possibility. But I think the reason I favor that idea is the brain can be easily tricked. First of all, the mirror would have to know what Harry's parents look like to show the picture there. That is Mm. easier to just turn whatever Harry has in his mind and show it to him. And it's only thanks to the movies that we ever even see an image, right? When we dream, we often think of we're doing things, but you know, they happen like really quickly. And sometimes it's just the thought that you're doing something. You might not actually even be doing that activity, mm-hmm. but your brain has that thought that I was doing that activity. So in your dream, you think, oh, I was doing that activity. It could have very well been a situation where Harry's brain thinks I'm seeing my parents. Or but maybe he's Harry- not even seeing an actual image there. Could be. Which is why no one is able to see an image there. Which is why when Ron is standing next to Harry, Ron says, I can only see you and me in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Maybe... The whole thing is inside Harry's head entirely. The magic that the mirror has is just like putting images in your head. Yes. That's very interesting. Uh, There's another theory also. Harry probably remembers, I mean, at the back of his mind, he remembers how his parents look like. And the mirror is just like getting that information and showing it to him. Yes, I favor that theory. I mean, yes, we don't understand the mirror's magic at all, but anything is possible because it's magic. Magic. I've kind of forgotten that Quirrell was the first person to tell Harry that 
Snape hates Harry because he hated his father and that Snape and Harry's father studied at the same time in Hogwarts. Yes. It became an underlying assumption of the series. I forgot where we first encountered it. Quirrell reveals that Voldemort is in him, with him and uh, Voldemort's scary face comes out of the back of Quirrell's head. Voldemort that's been spoken about right from the beginning of this book is finally here and he's talking to Harry. It's kind of like the butler in it, no? In mysteries usually when it's like, oh my god, it's someone who was familiar and he's been here all this time. The butler is the one who did it. It's like, oh Voldemort, everybody's been talking about him as though he's a faraway thing. Turns out he's been in the defense against the dark arts. Ironically, the defense against the dark arts class all this time. Yeah, it's not too much like that because Harry has a fair sense that Voldemort is behind it mm-hmm. before he goes in. Yeah. He just doesn't know that Voldemort would be there. Yes. But yeah, I never questioned the turban. Me neither. Why. Even though it's very odd, at least for me, for a English person to be wearing a, a turban. turban. Yeah. yeah. I thought maybe he's like one of those... Uh, I feel like you're going to be racist. Okay, I'm going to be racist. Sorry, darling. <laughs> <laughs> At this moment when Voldemort talks to Harry, there's a huge difference between what he says in the book and what he says in the movie. Because in the movie, he talks about how Harry and Voldemort together would be unstoppable and that Harry should give him the stone so that they can bring back his parents. Tell me. Mother and father again. Together, we can bring them back. He actually does a very good job of trying to convince Harry to give him the stone, right? Whereas in the book, he's just threatening. He just says, I won't show you any mercy. You'll die like your parents died. And he tries to like use his parents' death against him, but it's it's like a bludgeon and it doesn't work at all. Why would I go and give the stone to someone who's telling me that my father died valiantly and my mother needn't have died? It might work a little bit to remind him that his parents died doing the same thing. Resisting Voldemort and uh, Harry is actually very brave to be standing there talking to Voldemort like this but it kind of helps to remind him that he shouldn't be that brave. It's just in the movie his bravery seems even greater than the book because he's being presented like this very seductive version like his parents come back. Mm. We know now that there is nothing that Voldemort can do that can bring Harry's parents back. Yeah. But Harry Harry doesn't doesn't know that. To say no to that is... So much braver than what he does in the book. Yeah. We see Voldemort and everybody who's reading the book would like to know what is so scary about this guy. What is his philosophy? Why is he killing people? Why does he want power? So obviously Voldemort indulges everybody and launches into a monologue about it immediately. A very vague one. I don't think J.K. Rowling had the character figured out yet. There is no good and evil. There is only power. And those two Until then, we are never presented with this idea in this book that it's going to be about power. But later on, we figure out that that's actually the core of the series itself. So it's very interesting that in the first book, I think it had not taken shape, but it grew into something so powerful (laughs) later on. Yeah, she gives just enough hints so that she can take it any way she wants. Exactly. After this. Harry figures out that Quirrell can't bear his touch, so he immediately like catches onto his arm and holds on, even yeah. though it hurts him a lot. Why are they randomly grabbing him and pleading with him for the stone? Why don't they just kill him? They have a wand, right? Quirrell could do the rope situation again. Yeah. Voldemort knows that the stone is in Harry's pocket. It would be one thing if Voldemort just knows that Harry is lying and but he doesn't he... know where exactly the stone is. I, I don't know why every movie ends that way, hmm. but... The villains always do foolish things at the end. But the way it ends in the movie is particularly weird 
because mm. when harry like keeps touching quirrell he becomes ash he just Did burns he, like, rapidly internally combust when harry touches yeah him? i think he burns rapidly in the book it is shown as if he is blistering is blistering and he's burning slightly slowly mm. so so i have a question mm-hmm. quirrell and so voldemort was drinking unicorn blood and unicorn blood is supposed to save you even if you are at the brink of death why is quirrell dying now then honestly in the movie he falls apart like that in the book we don't know why quirrell died did he die because of the burns or did dumbledore kill him sorry dumbledore but we don't know how quirrell actually dies dumbledore doesn't even say quirrell is dead <laughs> yeah yeah nobody talks about quirrell after that yes so there was one interesting theory that i read about because voldemort is possessing quirrell quirrell's body is already disintegrating mm-hmm. and the drinking of unicorn blood was not for voldemort but it was actually for quirrell but it was for quirrell that's actually because he had to keep the body together to in turn host or whatever right that makes sense that makes sense but there's no explanation yeah that. harry's deepest desire actually changed between the last time he saw the mirror and this time that's true can your deepest desire actually change when the original deepest desire or the first deepest desire it still exists been, maybe it's sorry. more of an urgent deepest desire <laughs> urgent desire <laughs> yes Yeah. Right so, now, my deepest desire is to make sure those guys don't get the stone. Yeah. So uh, another line that I found really interesting was when Voldemort says, "I have form only when I can share another's body, but there have always been those willing to let me into their hearts and minds." Before Voldemort says this, Quirrell also says that he was punished because of his botched stealing job at Gringotts. This punishment could have possibly happened only with magic. Mm-hmm. So Voldemort was being a parasite in some other host until then. Probably, right? Yeah. I wonder what happened to that host. I mean, if your theory about Voldemort's possession causing the host to rot, mm. it's true. Yeah. He probably died. You know, last episode when we spoke about how Harry thinks that he can stall Snape. I do think that Harry is brave and all, but if it had been Snape instead of Quirrell in there, Harry I think he would have died in the first second. Harry would have died for sure. It's interesting that Quirrell was actually expecting Harry. It is interesting. Why would he think that Harry would follow him? He was probably monitoring Harry then. Because the way he answers every question that Harry has, it feels like, oh, you were there. I remember it. And this is the explanation. I or know maybe, this is how you saw it, but this is the explanation. Or maybe whenever Harry is there, Voldemort pays attention. Yeah, yeah maybe. When Harry wakes up in the hospital room, when I first read it, I thought it will be a very cruel joke. It will be like Harry wakes up and realizes that he never left Privet Drive and he's waking up in the cupboard or something. I don't wow. know why. <laughs> I was completely prepared for it. Uh-huh. But also, if it had happened, I would have hated J.K. Rowling so much. <laughs> <laughs> but he wakes up in the hospital wing instead with with the entire contents of his sweet cupboard next to him yeah and then i like that fred and george send him a lavatory seat try it's to like send a, him a lavatory seat yeah it's like a throwback to the first time harry meets them don't jinny we'll send you loads of owls we'll send you a hogwarts toilet seat george only joking mum oh okay oh i'd forgotten that it makes me think that maybe fred and george realized that harry was eavesdropping and they were trying to like make jokes and make him laugh on purpose possible yeah <laughs> dumbledore wraps up the book with explanations basically yeah. like yes i'm the one who gave you the cloak yes snape does hate your dad so many questions that we've had through the book dumbledore yeah. explains everything Actually the first part where Harry saves the stone it doesn't take a lot of the chapter after that it's just a bunch of dumbledore quotes yeah quotable quotes with some <laughs> plot elements so true <laughs> he has so many good quotes in it actually yeah. a lot of dumbledore's most famous lines are from this chapter <laughs> yeah i love that he starts with 
what happened down in the dungeons between you and Professor Quirrell is a complete secret, so naturally the whole school knows. It's a very interesting theory about Kasim. Yes, it's true. Only people who could have possibly passed it on is Dumbledore, Hermione and Ron. See, and I'm sure Dumbledore wouldn't have passed the story on. Yeah. So whatever story is going around is mainly Ron and Hermione's version of it, which is much less impressive compared to what Harry knows right now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Harry asks Dumbledore if he got the owl that Hermione sent and Dumbledore is like, well, We must have crossed in midair. I would really like to see a visual representation. <laughs> yes, <of it>. like <laughs> zoom. Yeah. <laughs> One more interesting line of this chapter, which is not like a quote, is that You did do the thing properly, didn't you? Didn't I've you? written that down too. Yeah. It's like if you're playing a game. And there is like one main mission that you can play where you don't do any of the side missions and you just like hurdle straight into the main mission. Mm-hmm. Or you can do all the side missions, get all the weapons and the do all the Easter eggs and get all the hidden stuff mm-hmm. also. And then you get to the main mission. Dumbledore expected Harry to do the novice gamer thing. <laughs> Harry did the expert gamer <laughs> version. <laughs> but also makes me believe more in the theory that Dumbledore set this all up. It's sad that Nicholas and Perenal Flamel have to die because Dumbledore wanted to use the stone to capture Voldemort, I guess. <laughs> but I love what he says there. To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. I've always been impressed by the quote and I've always liked the way he says. It really is like going to bed after a very, very long day. Yeah. At this time, I realized that when you go to sleep after a long day, you kind of know that you're going to wake up the next morning and that helps you sleep. <laughs> And death is unknown. So I don't know about that analogy anymore. I think a lot about what it's like to be immortal in a human body. Because the human body disintegrates at a very rapid pace, right? Uh, the older we get, that's why, you know, the more sicknesses we have, the harder it is to do some things. Mm. And you and I right now are not even in the peak of physical health. Not <laughs> me, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but soon it's going, to, it's going to be a rapid downhill. Nicholas Flamel is 600 years old. The reason the heart stops is not because it's like... Decides to stop. It's yeah. just, it just doesn't have more resources to... Yes. Function. The muscle weakens and that's why like we die. But I guess Philosopher's Stone kind of rectifies those things. No, it's just the secret of immortality is that you alter your body's chemistry so that all the cells keep duplicating again and again. So that there's no point in your life where your cells just stop and mm. your organs fail and you die. Mm. So that means your cells have to keep going, keep on doing that again and again. There's no wear and tear. So that's what I guess the Philosopher's Stone does. So what's so bad about that? It's just not possible to have perpetual motion like that. That's why it's magical. Even magically, at some point, your body shouldn't be able to continue doing it. It'll run out of resources. I just think that that's the way we are supposed to think. Because that's the way things are. Mm. But the Philosopher's Stone obviously defies natural natural, law. Dumbledore promises Harry that he would answer some of his questions and he promises that he'll basically say the truth. He won't lie to him, but he might not be able to answer some questions. The first question Harry obviously asks is, why did he try to kill my parents? To which Dumbledore cannot says, I can't answer this question right now. Yeah, very interesting because this is something that gets resolved much later. Yeah. And resolved in a spectacular way, I should say. Yes. But then Harry like immediately moves on to be like, why couldn't I touch him? What about Snape? When Dumbledore reveals that Quirrell couldn't touch him because his body is tainted by something as horrible as Voldemort's soul and Harry's body has the mark of his mother's love. Where he says that we know that Harry cries a little bit. At this point, we know that the book Harry is completely different from 
But I think over here again, Dumbledore simplifies something that we later find out is very, very different. Yeah. But when he talks about how he had this brilliant idea to save the stone, he says only a person who truly wanted to save the stone but never wanted to use it could get it. He is too proud when he's saying that. But I think I would have got it better if he actually explained some of the magical mechanisms that went on behind it. Because I get a very vague idea of what he's saying. And rest of it is assumption. So when he says something like, It was one of my more brilliant ideas. And between you and me, that's saying something. It's actually, it's a very clever idea. That the only person who can get the stone out of the mirror is the one person who doesn't want it. I want to know why it's brilliant. What are Dumbledore's other ideas? And what makes this idea much better than everything else? It's uh, neat to use a mirror of Edison. Yeah. I mean, How obviously he when he thought Dumbledore was setting the rule, he could have been like, this stone will be given only to the person with the purest intention. Now, that would have been difficult for the mirror to like figure out who has a purer intention. What if I went to this mirror and I was like, I want the stone, but it's to save this dying child. Right? That's a pure intention. So the mirror might be like, here, take the stone. But... Technically, the mirror's job is to not give anyone the stone. Yeah. So, obviously, it should give the stone only to someone who doesn't want to use it. Mm. Harry catches up with Ron and Hermione, fills them in on everything that happened and stuff. And then Ron says, I think, do you think he meant to do it? In reference meant to Dumbledore. Meant for Dumbledore. you to do it. Yeah. And Harry says, yeah, I think so. I think Dumbledore wanted to give me the chance to have a go at it. And he says it very, like... The matter of fact. Yeah, like, oh, children. Dumbledore the... wanted to expose me to someone who wanted to kill me when I was a child. <laughs> I had the same reaction as Hermione. She's like... Well, Hermione exploded. If he did, I mean to say that's terrible. You could have been killed. When they continue to talk about Dumbledore, Ron is so proud of Dumbledore. He's like, he's barking all right. But I never got this impression that Dumbledore is Ron's hero. He is now. Dumbledore arrived to save the day. And the headmaster is like paying you personal attention, right? Could be. But I'm I one of the important people now. I find it really strange that suddenly Dumbledore is Ron's hero. Because among these three, Dumbledore is more likely to be a hero for Harry and Hermione than no, Ron. No. no, actually, why would you assume that Ron wouldn't be a fan of Dumbledore? Ron grew up in a visiting family where he's probably heard about Dumbledore's accomplishments mm. over the last few years, right? Decades, right? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. But I just thought that this was very random and because it comes right at the, the end. end. And Dumbledore is widely regarded as the most... Powerful wizard of his time, right? I even knew that Percy is a big fan of Dumbledore right from the beginning. Yeah, he's probably just like some, oh yeah, everybody likes Dumbledore type. Then Hagrid comes in and finally he shows some guilt. No, but he keeps saying it's his fault, but he never apologizes. He cries. He cries, but he never apologizes. I know it sounds really cruel to be like, Hagrid, you never said the words, I'm sorry. 
but he actually doesn't say it he just says it was my fault it was my fault and he cries i think that's what he meant what i noticed was that he did not mention that it was my fault that you got the detention in the first place and because of that you got tangled into this mess yes Instead, he was like, "Oh, I should have never been fooled by some stranger in a pub," which is also true. Hagrid, you better be apologizing for that as well. <laughs> but Hagrid's present is very thoughtful and lovely. I don't know who actually came up with the idea, but he, I'd like to think that Hagrid heard about what happened, and maybe Dumbledore mentioned that what Harry saw in the mirror was his parents, and that maybe Hagrid realized that hey, Harry wouldn't have any actual pictures of his parents, and decided to like do it. Yeah, out of his own accord. I'm sure Dumbledore's behaved. <laughs> I just don't want to think that it's a it's not a manipulative present because nothing happens further on with the pictures per yeah, se. Why do you think it is? No, I don't want it to be a manipulative present. I just think it's very thoughtful. And yeah. Hagrid we know is capable of these small gestures that other yeah. people wouldn't think of, right? Like when yeah. he comes to bring Hag- Harry the letter, he brings a cake because it's a 11 year old having a birthday, we should give him cake. He buys him a present. Mm. He sends him mail because he realizes that Harry won't receive mail. Unlike everybody else. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 a nice gesture. Yeah, definitely. So before we move on to the next part of the chapter, let's jump into our Harry Potter story segment. This time we have a story from Madhumita, my friend and podcast listener, who's the reason I started reading Harry Potter. So let's hear it. Hi, this is Madhu. Um, the first memory of Harry Potter for me was me hearing some weird foreign name from my classmate Ramesh. He was randomly blurting out this weird name over and over during a geography lesson, and we were all laughing, including our teacher, who later, just for fun, made Ramesh write the weird name a hundred times on the blackboard. Ramesh obliged to much of our laughter. That's when I learned to spell Harry Potter. Later the same year, I was intrigued. Uh, as i was watching the harry potter first part movie it was the chess scene with the giant chess pieces it blew my mind off and i so badly wanted to read the books but my parents are never easy on me they said that the number of books they would get me would be equal to the number of ranks i go higher than my current one in the upcoming midterm exam which in my case required me going from 5th to 1st rank to win all the four books that were released back then but i was i secured only the second place still my parents were happy to buy me all of them the whole set yay finally when i was reading the books what i felt was pride mainly pride definitely excitement also a lot of confusion as i didn't know much english i was only 12 so understandable thanks prashanthni and aishwarya you guys are doing a wonderful job see you actually i remember the incident that she mentions mm-hmm. very well that was also my first introduction to harry potter to something called harry potter i was not really sure then because madhu started reading it that's when i figured out that it's a book series and people are like going crazy about it and all that It's a great story though that your first interaction is because your classmate was forced to write it on the blackboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. Thank you, Madhu. If you would like to share your Harry Potter stories with us, please email your recording to mumblemumblepodcast@gmail.com. Now, back to the episode. Harry is recovering and he is negotiating with Madame Pomfrey so she can let him go to the feast. 
Dumbledore also recommends that he come to the feast. Then Harry goes to the final feast to the Great Hall, which is decked up in Slytherin colors. And everybody's like really sad because they spent their best intentions. Slytherins won again. Yeah, the points stand thus. Mm-hmm. Slytherins are at four hundred and seventy-two. Ravenclaws are at four hundred and twenty-six. Hufflepuff is at three hundred and fifty-two. Gryffindor is at three hundred and twelve. Except Dumbledore decides to meddle <laughs> and gives away points randomly. So let me get this straight: you get five points for taking on a troll, and you get fifty points for unnamed things. No, you get fifty points for your bravery. Going through the trap door, knowing that you might possibly meet your death there, is really courageous. It's just cruel the way the the points are awarded right at the end. Yeah, like I know. In your face, Slytherins. Yeah, I know. Poor Slytherins. I mean, Malfoy he looks so confused in the movie when the points are being handed. Like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, but they all deserve it. <laughs> There's a dialogue change between the book and the movie. in one very crucial point first dumbledore awards points to ron mm-hmm. for playing the best game of chess ever played mm-hmm. that's good mm. but then he awards points to hermione except in the movie the logic part of the is not there so there is a slight change in the way dumbledore says it he says for the cool use of logic in the book and for the cool use of intellect in the movie Oh, nice. so she gets fifty points for the Devil's Nair, and then when he awards points to Harry, I love the way the movie Dumbledore says, "For pure nerve and outstanding courage." I really, really like the way he says that. Mm-hmm. And of course, then the most famous dialogue, my, my most favorite dialogue from this book comes. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies. But a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Every time I read that, I can hear the movie Dumbledore saying it in my head because I've watched that part repeatedly, and he does a really good job of enunciating. Yeah, Neville, who has never won points for his house, finally wins ten most important points. In the crucial ten. Yeah. yeah. The Gryffindors are in the leading now. They have ten points more than Slytherins, so they win the house cup. So after that, a lot of things happen. They are just like put together in one paragraph. Yeah, <laughs> like they pack their trunks. They get the notes that say, "Don't use magic during yeah. the summer holidays." And then they figure out that they did not do bad in their exams after all. And then they get back on the train. They're at platform nine and three quarters, and the Dursleys are there. Ron saying you should come and stay over, and it's like giving us hints for the next book. Yeah. Oh my god, we're at the end. We're done with book one. Yeah. I actually like the book better and I like the book lesser than before. I don't know how, but there, I know, there, exactly are, there are chapters that I liked better than I ever thought and there are chapters that were completely let down. Yeah, I know. I have a new appreciation for the Harry's time with the mirror of Erised, but like you said, there are some parts that are like totally let down. Oh my god. I am very excited for the next book. Me too. Actually, so excited to talk about the flying car. I'm <laughs> so excited to visit the burrow. Yeah, and talk and about Dobby. Dobby, yes. Yeah. So, now that we are done with book 1 and we are going to move on to book 2, we are going to take a short break. We will be off air for a month. We will be back on the 21st of June. Yep. That brings us to the end of today's episode. and this season of memorable the harry potter podcast if you like this episode please share it with your friends if you don't have friends <laughs> please share it on your social media channels <laughs> that's that's very nice of you actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm just giving them an alternative yeah but please share it with your friends and share it with other harry potter fans that you know if you'd like to discuss something particular about this episode 
please make sure to drop a comment on our website mimblewimble.in we are also on facebook instagram twitter and tumblr yeah you can follow us everywhere literally everywhere just search mimblewimble podcast and we will be there yeah if you enjoyed the season please make sure to write a review on itunes because it will help more people find us and that will really make us happy very happy <laughs> In the next episode we'll be talking about the events leading up to Ron rescuing Harry. That's chapters 1 and 2 of Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets. The worst birthday and Dobby's warning. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Alas. Yeah, wax. Mm-hmm.